Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Gospel Exegesis, where we take a look at the Gospel reading uh, from today's Catholic Mass. We're continuing to move through the Gospel of Luke, so we're going to jump today into Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. The people had gathered in their thousands, so that they were treading on one another. And Jesus began to speak, first to all his disciples. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, that is, their hypocrisy. Everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. For this reason, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in hidden places will be proclaimed on the housetops. To you, my friends, I say, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I will tell you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Can you not buy five sparrows for two pennies? And yet not one is forgotten in God's sight. Why, every hair on your head has been counted. There is no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. So another really interesting reading here in Luke. And as always, we want to start by asking ourselves, what's the context? So Jesus at this point is moving from Galilee to Judea. So it's getting close to the end of his ministry. He's moving towards Jerusalem. And at various points, he's speaking to the crowds, he's doing healings and going into the towns. So we get to verse 1. The people had gathered in their thousands so that they were treading on one another. Now, this is not a pleasant scene, if you think about it. We often don't see artistic representations of this. We usually just see Jesus sitting peacefully with a peaceful crowd around him. But here, Luke tells us there were thousands there and they're treading on one another. The crowd is pushing and jostling against each other and it's probably hot. So it's really not quite pleasant. And the reality is that is the scene for a lot of the latter part of Jesus' ministry. And so in a real sense, we could say that Jesus' ministry could not have gone on for a whole lot longer than what it did because it was already causing a lot of crowds and a lot of congestion. So Jesus is now going to begin a long interactive sermon, kind of like what you would see in Matthew, actually. This is a long sermon that basically goes from chapter 12, the start of chapter 12, where we are today, to chapter 13, verse 9. And this speech, it's possible that some of the things in this speech were said on different occasions, but Luke has combined them together. That is a possibility. It says, Jesus began to speak first of all to his disciples. So there are crowds around, but at the start of the speech here, he's just speaking to his followers. Later, he'll speak to the whole crowds. Keep in mind what has just occurred at the end of chapter 11. So he's just denounced the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he takes the opportunity to teach about genuine discipleship here. So in contrast with the false uh, leadership and discipleship of the Pharisees, Jesus now talks about what real discipleship looks like. And in particular, in today's reading, he's going to talk about the challenges that his disciples will face in the coming years. He starts by saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, or beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, would be another translation there. So what is this, yeast or leaven? It's basically, in that culture, it was used to make bread rise, kind of like self-raising flour. 
And what they would do when they were making bread is they would put in a tiny amount of yeast, and that's all you needed, a tiny amount, but that was enough to puff up the whole loaf. Now, it appears that the Jews viewed leaven or yeast as quite a negative thing. Part of their religion and their culture saw leaven as sort of generally negative, at least in terms of spiritual things. Because in connection with the Passover, they were commanded to clean out all of the leaven from their homes. Remember, unleavened bread is required around the time of the Passover. And over the years, uh, there was a logical reason why they had to get rid of leaven originally in the first um, exodus. But over the years, by the time of Jesus, they'd come to associate leaven as generally a kind of bad thing. And the original feast there is talked about in Exodus chapter 12. Jesus is about to use yeast in probably an even more metaphorical sense that they had not considered before. So he says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, that is their hypocrisy. So why are the Pharisees hypocrites? Well, they claim to be holy, but their actions show that they're really not holy at all. And we've talked about that in the previous episodes. In chapter 11, verse 39, Jesus calls them hypocrites for that reason. Now, interestingly, Matthew's version of this text doesn't say, uh, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees, that is their hypocrisy. Matthew's version says, that is their teaching. So, if we take both versions, Matthew and Luke's together, the phrase overall, the leaven of the Pharisees, it means the corrupting influence of the Pharisees, which creeps into everything. And that's going to include the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the insincerity of the Pharisees, and their ill will. All of that would count as the leaven of the Pharisees, which Jesus is warning his disciples against. The basic idea here is that the Pharisees' errors in teaching and practice have the power to spread to others and corrupt the whole batch, kind of like leaven does. The Pharisees' influence is corrupting. So Jesus tells his disciples... Firstly, they need to be on their guard against this corrupting influence of the Pharisees. Jesus knows that his disciples and the Pharisees, they're going to exist alongside each other for a while. And Jesus doesn't want his church to become corrupted. So he gives his disciples a warning. And now it appears that Jesus changes topic a little bit. And perhaps this is an indication that this is something else he said on a different occasion, maybe. So verse 2, he says... Everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. Now, what does this mean? Everything that is now covered will be uncovered. It could have different meanings. In fact, earlier in the gospel, if you look at Luke chapter 8, verse 17, the same phrase is used, and it means something quite different, something completely different than what this context has it as. So, this appears to be one of those phrases where Jesus uses it at different times in his ministry to use different things. Everything that is now covered will be uncovered. It's one of his favorite phrases, apparently. Kind of like the servant is not greater than the master. Jesus uses that phrase in several times to mean several different things. So what does it mean here? Everything that is now covered will be uncovered. Everything that is hidden will be made clear. Some scholars have taken that to be an extension of what he was just saying about yeast, as in yeast is kind of hidden but it does its work silently, and maybe that's a reference to one day the Pharisees' true hearts will be exposed on Judgment Day, and that would certainly fit as well. Uh, Some have interpreted it to be Jesus warning his own disciples, and he's saying to them something like, be careful what you say and do in private, because it will be revealed on Judgment Day, and all will hear it on that day. Maybe it's a prediction of the Pharisees' future judgment because of their hypocrisy. As we said, you could interpret it that way too. 
If you look at Matthew's version of this, so Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says this, that context makes it a little clearer what Jesus appears to mean, and it's neither of those things. Let's go on, though, and I think the meaning will become a little clearer. Verse 3, Jesus says in, in the next line, For this reason, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. Now, in Matthew's gospel, this seems to be a reference to the apostolic age, and that would fit the context here, wouldn't it? Because Jesus is giving his disciples instructions for the future. And here's how we can interpret this phrase. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom in a kind of a veiled way during his own ministry. The mysteries of the kingdom are kind of secret, and only those who understand the parables understand them. But after Jesus returns to heaven, and the Holy Spirit has come in the apostolic age, Jesus knows that the apostles are going to proclaim the kingdom of God clearly without parables. So maybe that's the meaning here. Everything that is now covered, as in during his own lifetime, will be uncovered in the apostolic age. The kingdom of God will become much clearer and more available to everyone. And I think that's the best way to interpret this phrase. That is how God sets up his plan of salvation. So during his li- Jesus' lifetime, the kingdom is kind of hidden but then the apostles will be called to make the kingdom much more plain, basically. Uh, But there are different interpretations of this that you might see. Jesus goes on, what you have whispered in hidden rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So the idea is things that are said secretly in a room of the house will one day be proclaimed on the housetops. So once again, Jesus seems to be saying here to his disciples that one day they will need to boldly proclaim the things of the kingdom, which at the present time, Jesus has only revealing them to them privately, and that is certainly the case. What does he mean here about housetops? Well, in that culture, first century Jewish society, houses all had roofs for socializing, so you could go out on your roof, and it was actually a very good place to stand and shout a message to the neighborhood. So to proclaim something from the housetops basically means tell all people. That's what the metaphor means, to tell all people. So, so far, Jesus has basically been telling his disciples they need to be prepared to commit themselves radically to the kingdom, and that one day they're going to have to be very bold about it. He said that so far. Now he's going to say he, they should not be afraid of persecution, and Jesus knows that persecution is coming for them in the coming years. So, verse 4, he says to them, to my friends. So, Jesus considers his disciples his friends. He cares for them. To you, my friends, I say... Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. Interesting phrase. So Jesus now encourages his apostles, and the disciples in general, to put their suffering that they're going to inevitably have in an eternal perspective. They are going to encounter a lot of persecution in the coming years, and Jesus knows that. And in fact, many of them would be killed for their faith. But Jesus tells them not to fear bodily death and bodily persecution, And if they can resist those things, then they will gain something much greater. But there's a, on the other hand, there's a far worse fate they should fear. If they give in to the persecution, something much worse will happen to them. And in verse five, he says to them, I will tell you whom to fear. Fear him whom, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Now, the Greek word here for hell is Gehenna. And this is a word we've talked about um, elsewhere in the podcast, and particularly in Matthew's, the episodes in Matthew's gospel. Gehenna was a real place in Israel. In the Old Testament, it was a place where children were sacrificed and literally burned in flames to the pagan gods. 
And then in New Testament times, it was kind of like a burning dumpster. There was constantly rubbish burning out there. And Jesus uses this real place, Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, literally, as a metaphor for hell, the eternal place of punishment. Uh, So when Jesus uses the Greek word Gehenna, which is actually different from Hades, that's a different word, but when he uses Gehenna, he's talking about what we think of as hell, the place of eternal punishment. So who then is the place who the, the person who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell? We might like to think that that's Satan, but actually Satan doesn't send anyone to hell. It's God. Jesus here is talking quite using quite strong language here about God the Father. He who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. We don't like to think about God in those terms, but that's who he's talking about. Now he is going to give uh, a different perspective on God by the end of this reading, but first. Jesus here is basically warning his disciples that if they give up on the faith because of persecution, there's a strong chance that God will send them to hell. So he's giving them a warning. He's telling his apostles and the disciples not to give up on the faith, no matter how much they'll be persecuted. And it makes sense because they would be tempted to give up if they're being physically persecuted. That's going to bring them some temporary relief. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. It will give you temporary relief, but it will give you eternal punishment. The disciples need to keep this in mind, and particularly the apostles, because they are going to be the future leaders of the church, and they have a greater responsibility to stay in the faith because they're given greater gifts from Jesus. Jesus finishes this section by saying, yes, I tell you, fear him. So he says to his disciples, although they're going to face a lot of persecution from people, the only person they really need to worry about is God, and we should keep that in mind too. The disciples, Jesus said, need to live their lives in the coming years trying to please God and avoiding temptations to sin. It seems the disciples, and particularly the apostles, by and large, they did understand this and they did learn this lesson. Because later, when they're being persecuted, they say, and this is in Acts chapter 5 verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. So they seem to understand that that's what Jesus meant. Jesus now gives a couple of short metaphors to show that God is indeed watching over them. So he's going to remind them that God is loving and merciful and that he cares about them. So the point here is that they should not fear men and what men can do to them. And they should have confidence that God is looking out for them. Now, he will return to the teaching about hell and the afterlife. um, And we'll look at that in uh, tomorrow's episode. But today, continuing with verse 6. Can you not buy five sparrows for two pennies? Now, in that culture, sparrows were quite cheap. They were used in liturgical sacrifices. Sometimes people would go to the temple and buy a sparrow so that they could sacrifice it. And can it, can not five sparrows be bought for two pennies? To put this in perspective, one penny is about half an hour's wage. So two pennies is an hour's wage. And apparently... Jesus here says in that time you could buy five sparrows for two pennies or five sparrows for an hour's wage. So they're very cheap. Having said that, Jesus then says, and yet not one of the sparrows is forgotten in God's sight. So even though sparrows were common and cheap, God the Father sees and knows each one of them. And Matthew's version here says God knows when each one of them dies and falls. This is an affirmation of God's omniscience. God knows about every single thing that's happening in the world, including every sparrow. It's probably not a hyperbole. Jesus is probably literally saying God knows about every single sparrow. And that was a Jewish belief at the time anyway. The point here that he's making is that if the father knows every sparrow, 
Of course, he can see and watch over each one of you disciples who are so much more precious to him. Verse 7, Jesus goes on, why every hair on your head has been counted. That's quite a profound teaching, isn't it? God the Father knows people so intimately that he knows even the numbers of hairs on our heads. We need to keep this in mind. This is a God who knows us far more intimately and deeply than we even know ourselves. And in this particular context, Jesus is saying that God knows the suffering of his faithful disciples. And that should bring comfort to the original disciples and to us as well. Jesus goes on, There is no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. So the disciples, as God's messengers for the new covenant, they're far more valuable than sparrows. And although he's speaking primarily to his disciples, we can probably extend this to all humans because all humans are made in God's image. We're each incredibly loved by God and we're loved much more and we're more precious than common animals are. Now, that might be offensive to many modern hearers, uh, particularly those um, involved in the animal rights movement who would say that um, animals are equal to humans. Well, from a Christian perspective, animals must be looked after. That's clearly part of Christian teaching. But here, Jesus himself says, you are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. So humans are worth probably infinitely more to God than other animals are. That seems to be Jesus' teaching here. Although in context, what's the main point he's making? Do not worry when you're persecuted. God sees what's happening to you and he cares about you. So Jesus here teaches that Christian martyrs and those who suffer for the faith can look beyond the afflictions of this life to God's vindication and eternal reward. And if you read the book of Revelation in particular, that's developed quite strongly. Those who die for the faith will receive an eternal reward. Now, Jesus has more to say about this topic and about Judgment Day, and he's going to do that in the coming verses. And coming up in the next batch of verses here, Jesus is going to talk about the unforgivable sin. So we'll cover that in tomorrow's episode of the podcast. If we turn to the Catechism to see what we can learn about Catholic teaching from this passage, there's a couple of really interesting links here. So firstly, paragraph 678, this is about Judgment Day. It says, following in the footsteps of the prophets and John the Baptist, Jesus announced the judgment of the last day in his preaching. Then will the conduct of each one and the secrets of hearts be brought to light. Then will the culpable unbelief that counted the offer of God's grace as nothing be condemned. So here, uh, the Catechism mentions particularly in the middle there, the, on Judgment Day, the conduct of each one and the secrets of heart be brought to light. So uh, that verse 3 and 4, uh, where Jesus says, one day everything that's done in secret will be shouted from the housetops. The Catechism takes that as a possible reference to Judgment Day, and certainly it could be. That whole section of the Catechism is really quite interesting to learn about uh, the future final judgment. So that's paragraph 678. I'll, I'll include that in the show notes as well. And then there's a really interesting link here. We don't often hear this paragraph um, during the show episodes. Paragraph 342. This is in the section about the visible world, how God has created the visible world uh, as distinct from the invisible world. The hierarchy of creatures is expressed by the order of the six days, from the less perfect to the more perfect. God loves all his creatures and takes care of each one, even the sparrow. Nevertheless, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows. Or again, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? 
So interestingly here, the Catechism talks about how God loves all his creatures, but he loves humans the most. And it mentions a comparison here with sparrows from the text in Luke. And it sees that as an extension of the principle laid down in the six days of creation, because God's most important, most perfect creation is created on the sixth day, whereas everything else is created on the previous days. So that's a really interesting paragraph as well, paragraph 342. We'll finish it there for today. I hope you have learned something new. It's quite a fascinating passage. Hopefully you agree. And if you have, please share it around. We'll continue in Luke in the coming days.